to round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Meeting your new self by accident. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm still in the midst of recounting these stories of mine to make a point, to make a profound point that if you can step back and analyze your life, then make adjustments to understand your life, then make the final adjustments to enhance and improve your life, then you, my friend, have a story to tell. And if you stay real with it, where you don't try to be somebody else or lie about what you've seen or what you know, then you can lead others to finding their true selves as well. Whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or with no food to eat at all in a fractured or broken support structure and challenging living environment, you still have to get through things. You still have to learn how to negotiate the twists and turns of your own life. Once you learn how to drive that crazy fast car, then the world is yours to explore. The highway is open. The freeway is clear. Then let's go get it. Note that this story is presented in four parts, so it can be paused and returned to if desired. Poem by Roger Hamilton, 1984. Who you were. Sometimes we try to forsake the past to make room for all that's new. So we gather and hide the crazy things to give the appearance that they're not true. You remember the past with bitter recall, you think and learn from the hurt of it. Or if you've cleaned up your act since juvenile hall, you hope nobody gets word of it. You tiptoe around in your three-piece suit or you laugh and joke with the best of them. You improve your speech and alter your style, but you can't be like the rest of them. 
Hold fast to your identity. Remember the route you took. Be never ashamed of who you are or the perspective from which you look. No need to make announcements or put your business in the street. No need to surrender your aces or give inquisitive eyes a peek. If it comes to question, be proud. Don't ever hang your head. You survived through oppression and desperation and could easily now be dead. The only debt you owe is to yourself and you alone. You deserve the best as you always have, if only then, like now, you had known. With a change of clothes and professional tactics, you can stand among the rest. All they ever need to know is that what you do now, you're the best. So it's okay to reach for the highest and farthest star, but always remember that who you were is also who you are. The year was 1982. I had adjusted to my transplant from New Jersey to Long Beach, California. I was working and making new progress to reinvent my life. It was a beautifully bright sunny day and I was enjoying the climate. I rolled my large truck to a stop in front of the designated repair shop. Luck seemed to be with me that morning as there was nothing in front of me to slow me down. It appeared that I would be in and out of the repair shop owner's driveway in short order. I popped out of my truck and walked briskly up to the garage. Morning, sir, I offered with a smile. I've got your oil delivery for you. Bring it right in, he replied. We both seem to be having a good morning. With spring in my step, I bounced back to my truck to set up the deposit. I grabbed the nozzle that was attached to the industrial size hose and began unraveling it. I held the thick black rubber hose firmly and continued pulling until I reached the large white container, approximately 40 feet from the truck. I yanked the hose until the ratcheted mechanism locked in place. I went back to the truck and pushed the small red button to start the oil pump that would begin my delivery. With a quick stutter step, I went back to the end of the nozzle and squeezed the trigger. Bloop, bloop, bloop. I could hear the oil forcing its way through the snake-like tube. I patiently stood hovering over the tank as I simultaneously watched the meter and gripped the handle of the nozzle. In a shorter time than I expected, I had pumped the container full. Feeling great about the time I had saved, I wound the hose back into its compartment and went to the owner for his signature. He complied, and I was on my way with a smile. I hopped in the truck and readied myself for departure. The growing noise in my stomach interrupted my thoughts. I knew I didn't want to waste time by stopping to have an early lunch, but surely I could eat one bite at a time as I drove. I eagerly pointed the truck in the direction of the store I'd passed on the way. I drove about a mile and a half, and there across the intersection was the store. I drove through the intersection, eased my truck off to the side of the main street, and parked. I envisioned a scrumptious turkey sandwich on whole wheat bread. My taste buds were humming with anticipation. I locked the truck looked both ways and jogged across the four-lane street. The sun was so bright and the temperature was so mild, it felt great to be alive. I bounced up to the curb, paused, looked both ways again, and proceeded to cross the other side of the intersection when suddenly, BAM! In an instant, I found myself stunned and disoriented. Everything went dark. I was suddenly stuck inside some kind of dream. From out of nowhere, I was struck by a speeding tow truck and thrown 20 feet through the air. 
like the ultimate roller coaster ride. I went flying and slicing through the air and landed spread eagle on my back again against the solid pavement. My vision was a blur. I was awakened and startled by my own cries of pain. Initially, I was more surprised by my own moaning than I was aware of the actual pain. Ah! Ah! I moaned out loud. I had no idea what could have happened. I was lying there in the middle of the street, and I didn't know what was going on. Slowly, my consciousness seemed to catch up with the reality of the situation. The sound of my own moaning frightened me, but I couldn't stop. At that moment, I heard an unfamiliar voice ask in earnest, You all right? You all right? But I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was all right. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what had happened. I never saw the truck coming. And as I lied there, the thought that I could have gotten hit by a moving vehicle never dawned on me. It was then that I tried to move or lift myself. I became terrified. I couldn't move. My mind took flight. Oh, God, I can't move. I was starting to freak out. I began to take exaggerated deep breaths. My martial arts training intervened deep and long through my nose. Focused and hearty out my mouth. I breathed to regain control. I wasn't quite sure what I was trying to do, but I knew I had to bring myself around. I was frightened and did the only thing I thought that I could do. I needed focus. Don't do that. I heard a, some the same unfamiliar voice plead. You might have been hurt inside. Don't do that. But I continued. Until I could feel my legs move. My body seemed to be responding and coming back to me. I was gaining my composure, but I still could not lift myself. All of a sudden, I made eye contact with the man hovering over me. He was peering down at me with a look of terror on his face. You all right? He asked again. Yeah, I answered quickly. What happened? I asked, still uncertain as to what predicament led me to be lying motionless in the otherwise busy street. Man, that truck hit you, the man answered. I tried to warn him that you were crossing, but he didn't see you. I was on the far right of him. I couldn't get his attention. The stranger was almost apologetic. I was blowing my horn, but his music was too loud. The African-American gentleman knelt down and rested his hand tenderly on my chest for comfort. Man, I got to get out of here. I, I got deliveries to make. I strained to move. No, he continued. You can't move. You can be hurt bad. J just stay here. Somebody already called the ambulance. You got to get to a hospital, he continued. Hospital? I barked. And I got to get my truck. Just then I heard a low squeamish male voice ask, are you all right? I tilted my head slightly. I looked out of the corner of my eye and yelled as best I could. Yeah, that's why I'm laying here for my health. Get the fuck away from me. Be cool, man, the brother whispered with concern. Man, fuck him, I snapped. Who's he anyway? Man, that's the guy who hit you, the brother still whispered. Man, fuck him, I shot back again. My anger seemed to kick in for protection as I had grown accustomed. Not that it was all right, 
and the right thing to do, but it, it just kicked in anyway. Man, just be cool. These people around here, they, they ain't that cool. Apparently, I was in a somewhat segregated and polarized neighborhood. I've been listening to them. They don't think you're hurt. They're saying he could get up. He's not hurt. Don't worry, man. I'll hang here with you until the ambulance comes. Thanks, man. I whispered. Thanks. I said again. The Good Samaritan worked for the public service company and was in the area reading meters. I felt so foolish lying there in the street, unable to move myself. This was the strangest situation I'd been in yet. My physicalness had become my solace. I was worried. Man, I can't die here in California. I've got to get out of here. You're not going to die. The Samaritan comforted. It's going to be all right. I was lying there for what seemed like 10 or 15 minutes when we both appeared to hear the sirens at once. Here comes the ambulance, I heard him say. I shook my head slowly in disgust. The ambulance raced up and screeched to a halt. Suddenly, there seemed to be more commotion. Two paramedics emerged the ambulance from the ambulance and knelt beside me. Only one spoke. How are you feeling? He questioned. I understand that I was hit by a truck. I answered, but I, but I never saw it coming. Y- you mean you did that? The paramedic asked in disbelief. Did what? I asked confused. Look at that truck, he said excitedly. I attempted to raise my head enough to see and the paramedic interrupted my motion. Wait, j- just lie here and let me check you out. He took my vital signs and looked deeply into my eyes. He began to give me an on the spot examination. Do you feel that? He asked. He pulled upward on my pelvis. Yeah, I responded. Does it hurt? He continued. No, it's all right, I answered. How about this? He questioned. He felt around my ribs. Does this hurt? He asked again. No, I responded again. Man, I got to get out of here. I started again. It was as though I needed everyone to know that I was not supposed to be lying there. I had a higher purpose. I got to get my truck. I I got a train started ranting. Train for what? He asked with a raised eyebrow. Martial arts. I'm into martial arts, man. I, I, I got a train, I retorted with pride. Well, he said with a smile, you're going to have to take a little break from that for a while. Do you realize what you did to that truck? The paramedic smiled and shook his head as they both loaded me into the rear of the ambulance. They slid me about halfway into the doors when I heard a now familiar voice. Take it easy, man. I heard the Good Samaritan say. He handed me a piece of paper with his name and telephone number. Call me if you need a witness or something, he offered. Thanks, I responded sincerely. I appreciate it. One paramedic climbed in the back with me while the other drove. The man comforted me as he continued to smile and shake his head. You are very lucky, very lucky, he emphasized. I can't believe what you did to that truck. I learned later that the truck needed to be towed from the scene. The paramedic and I engaged in small talk on the way to the hospital and became quite friendly. I was taken to the Brotman Memorial Center in Los Angeles. My body didn't seem to be in pain. I just felt extremely foolish. I continued to feel that at any moment I should be able to rise from the stretcher and walk casually away from this confusing predicament. The ambulance rode to a halt in front of the Brotman emergency entrance. The two paramedics met at the rear door of the ambulance and began removing me and the stretcher from the open doors. I tilted my head upward in a continuing attempt to appear unaffected. 
The energetic young paramedics wheeled me through the large automatic doors to an empty bed in what appeared to be an initial examination room. They removed me from the rolling bed to the stationary one. They smiled and wished me well as they departed. I still felt more embarrassed than pain. My mind refused to acknowledge the potential seriousness of the accident. Only a few seconds passed, and there standing over me was a young doctor. He recounted the information from the paramedics' report as though he was somewhat confused. His eyes bulged with curiosity. He began his examination. I understand you were hit by a truck? He asked, almost in disbelief. I was now more convincing than ever, as I answered with a smile. Yeah, that's what they tell me. He continued to look me up and down with noticeably puzzled glances. Of all things, I'm certain he didn't expect me to be smiling and cordial. The befuddled doctor examined me from head to foot, feeling for broken bones or any other noticeable effects of my accident. He quickly had me rolled into another room for a head x-ray only. Afterwards, I was quickly rolled back out. I had become so determined not to botch this employment opportunity with South Bay Oil that the idea of being hurt was unthinkable. I knew that the loss of income would devastate my efforts to move freely. I couldn't be hurt, period. The doctor and I continued our quiet exchange. I reminded him, too, that my truck was waiting and I had to get out of there. He ordered me to just hold on and inform me that I didn't need to go anywhere just yet. Where does it hurt? He continued. I pointed to the insides of both my wrists. Here in my head is the only place I really feel it, I answered. My wrists and elbows had sustained abrasions and contusions. They were pink from their depth and stinging. I had a similar feeling in the back of my head. I told the doctor, and he examined them carefully. But nothing other than that, uh, though my knee and leg were hurting, I declined to mention it. After further examination of my head, the doctor found only a slight abrasion, which was no immediate cause for concern. He still looked puzzled. Just then, the doctor was called away. He informed me that a nurse would come to clean and bandage my abrasions momentarily. I laid there in the cool emergency room, still feeling quite compromised and vulnerable. In an instant, I seemed to be more patient and relaxed. Suddenly, my entire body began to feel warm. My heartbeat quickened, and I realized that something was happening, something unfamiliar. The tingling warmth began to radiate through my body and created a crescendo of pain. It awakened my resting emotions. I adjusted my position and raised one leg to be certain I wasn't imagining the sensations. I became anxious again. I looked up and noticed the, worst wa the nurse walking toward me. I opened my eyes wide and stated with a half smile, half frown, I think I'm starting to feel it now, I said quietly. She half-heartedly acknowledged me and turned as if she had forgotten something. With a quick step, she walked back toward the main desk. The tingling was now turning to pulsation. My body began to stiffen with pain. My mind raced with excited awareness. Every moment that passed increased the stiffening sensation, which was now turning to excruciating pain. End of part one. Suddenly, a fireman in full dress caught my eye. He dashed through the large double doors of the emergency room. He looked excited as though he was running to a fire. 
the environment became seriously hectic. Another fireman soon followed. I began to wonder about the commotion. The emergency room staff seemed nervous. I watched the firemen walk by once or twice with a concerted but befuddled look on their faces. Just then, I caught the attention of a nurse as she quickly walked by. What's going on? I asked. They think there's a gas leak, she replied as she continued to rush by. By now, my body was throbbing with pain, and the environment became uncomfortable as well. I sat as upright as I could. I watched the nurses wheeling patients outside into the hospital parking lot to escape the apparent hazard. A few seconds later, I was approached by an attractive young nurse pushing a wheelchair. She motioned for me to attempt to transfer from the bed to the chair. By that time, I could not respond. My mind was willing, but my body would not cooperate. I grunted and groaned with pain as she reached behind me to help. I eased my body into the cool wheelchair, and the petite nurse wrapped a blanket gingerly around my body and up to my neck. She rolled the wheelchair quickly but carefully out the electronic doors. Outside was a collection of surprised and frightened patients. Most were in wheelchairs or on gurneys. Others were standing. The bright red fire truck dominated the parking lot. The diligent young nurse engaged the brake on the wheelchair I was sitting in and quickly went back inside the hospital. Soon, all the staff, including the doctors, were standing outside waiting and wondering. I sat there in my wheelchair, reeling from pain, but refused to acknowledge my reality. I couldn't be hurt. I just couldn't. Ten, maybe fifteen minutes passed as the firemen filed out of the hospital. The supposed danger was over. All was clear. I could see the relief on the faces of the staff and the patients. I was still very anxious myself. The doctors and nurses began wheeling and escorting the crowd of people back into the hospital. The same nurse approached me and offered to roll me back in with the crowd. I quickly declined. Nah, I'm okay. I think I can get out of here, I said half confidently. Are you sure? She replied with sincerity. Yeah, I grunted. I'm sure. It was then that I had the most difficulty. I summoned all the strength that I could muster. With the nurse's help, I raised myself from the chair. Standing held an overwhelmingly new sensation. I had to adjust in a way that I had not experienced before. Are you okay? She whispered. I answered to the angel in white. Yeah, I'm fine. I was operating from some strange mixture of ego and will as I took my first steps since the collision. Strangely enough, the nurse took my word for my condition and rolled the wheelchair ahead of me inside the hospital. I tried to walk normally, but surrendered to the pain. With great difficulty, I took third and half steps to make my way inside. I ambled over to the admitting desk and announced that I would like to leave. The nurses asked that I wait for the examining doctor. I took there impatiently, I stood there impatiently and waited while the nurses went to find the doctor. Because of the negative head x-ray and the way that I responded during examination, this doctor was already prepared for my departure and he arrived momentarily with a prescription in hand. Are you sure you feel okay? He questioned with that same puzzled look on his face. I feel a little bit now, but I'll be all right, I concluded.
All right, then, he agreed. Here's a prescription for pain. You'll probably need it later, he reasoned. We called your boss, and he's on his way to pick you up. Joe, I think his name is, the doctor continued. Suddenly, it dawned on me. Where in the hell am I going? I don't have a car. I would have to take a taxi back to my truck. Damn it, I thought. Accepting my vulnerability was extremely difficult. I felt that I was blowing my chance. I felt extremely uneasy about my predicament. I had no substantial savings to fall back on and nobody to call for help. All I could think was, how can I get through this situation quickly? I concluded my dialogue with the doctor and turned to walk toward the exit. Suddenly, I thought of my mother. Ironically, I reasoned that she should know that I was all right. I stiffly turned back toward the nurse and asked where the public telephone might be. The busy lady motioned outside and across the street in the main building. I thanked her and pointed myself in that direction. I lumbered with a stiff and crooked gait toward and through the emergency room doors. With each step, my body screamed in pain. I had learned a great deal about pain in my past. The mind control that was necessary to combat it was embedded in my memory. I fought to maintain control, but I had never experienced sensations like these. I inched step by step toward the street. I stopped cautiously at the curb. The realization that I had just been run over was fresh in my mind, so I approached the street with great care. I slowly made my way across the small street only to realize that I had 15 or 20 steps to climb. Carefully, I took the first of what seemed like one million steps. I finally forced myself to the top and slid myself over the large wooden and glass door. My body had grown weaker. I reached for the handle of the door and literally could not open. My entire body was in such excruciating pain that I was unable to pull the large door open. I still would not allow myself to face the realization that I was seriously injured. While my hand was still on the handle, someone came rushing through the door and almost knocked me aside. With great difficulty, I held the door open still so I might enter. Once inside the hospital, I made my way toward the line of telephones against the wall. I dialed my mother's telephone number along 3,000 miles away. I had no idea what I would say. I simply felt that I should call. My mother answered, Hello? When I heard the familiar voice, the painful reality overtook me. Ma? I muttered in a strained and broken voice. Roger? What's wrong? She interpreted. I, I, I just wanted to, to call you. I just wanted you to know that I, I, I got hit by a truck today. My mother attempted to respond. Are you? But I interrupted. I had gained momentum with my speech and could not stop the restart. I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm okay. I stuttered. I could hear the woman's voice shake as she responded to my pain with her own pain. Roger, what's going on? 
I can hear her start to cry. I just, just wanted to let you know. Before I could finish my sentence, I was beginning to fight tears as well. The pain was overwhelming. I struggled to stay in control. I'm okay. I'm okay, I said, still stuttering and emotional. I I just wanted you to know so you wouldn't worry if you found out somehow. It's all right. It's all right. Roger, what happened? She asked, sniffling. I, I was walking across the street and a truck hit me. I'm leaving the hospital now. Everything's all right. I continued to try and convince myself that all was well, but I was having tremendous difficulty. My mother and I exchanged a few more words and I was able to convince her that I was sound. She assured me that she would call me later to verify my condition. I'm coming out there, she added. Come out here, I blasted. My voice gained strength in an instant. Ma, ain't no need to do that. I'm all right, I insisted. It was my mother's gesture of love, but we both knew that she could not arrange such an expensive trip anyway. Honestly, I really dreaded the thought of her coming to California. It would have been difficult enough to deal with my mother if I were healthy, but with my health and mobility compromise, that would never do. So I ended our conversation with a firm announcement. Ma, I got this, okay? Just forget about trying to come out here. My mother's end of the telephone was silent. I punctuated the end of our conversation. So I'll talk to you later, all right? All right, she agreed. Okay. I placed the receiver back on the public telephone. I turned toward that threatening, sinister-looking door that had given me so much trouble on the way in. I continued my sickly penguin walk over to the door and with persistent difficulty made my way through it. I approached the marble stairs with extreme caution. I managed to shuffle my way down, holding tightly to the handrail. I got to the bottom of the stairs and noticed two people looking at me intently. They seemed engrossed in my every half-step. Admittedly, I looked healthy. I had no noticeable scars or casts or damages or bandages. I imagined the muscular definition of my body confused them. They watched my every move with such an undeniable curiosity. I felt compelled to greet them. Hello, I offered. I looked pleasantly at the mother and young son standing near the curb. Their trance seemed to be broken when they heard my voice. The young African-American woman returned my greeting. Hi. Are you all right? She asked. That now familiar puzzled look that I had gotten from the doctors and nurses when I was on her face as well. Oh yeah, I, I'm fine. I shared, though I couldn't have looked very convincing. I got hit by a truck today, but I'm going to be fine. You better take care of yourself, she quietly suggested. Her young son looked in apparent awe. Yeah, I'm going to get some rest and I'll be as good as new, I assured, probably talking more to myself than to her. Hey, buddy, I says. I strained to reach down and shake the young man's hand. Hi, he responded squeamishly. What happened to my man here? I asked. There were no apparent injuries, but his eyes and demeanor did not look well. I cannot recall what exactly was wrong, but I remember it being some internal problem that was recurrent.
His mother expressed her frustration. He's always getting sick, she lamented. Suddenly, I was overwhelmed with deja vu again. At that moment, I related so extremely well to those two that I forgot about my own pain for a few minutes. Her heartfelt anguish forced me to look deeply into her eyes. You know, when he was little, he had so many problems and he always came into the hospital. Now I don't know what's wrong with him. Hey, when I was little, I had a lot of problems too, I shared. I began to list some of the unfortunate situations that I had encountered. I had tuberculosis when I was very young and I was not expected to do as well as I've done. I completed in sports in high school and went on to college on a scholarship. I lost my eye when I was seven years old and I've done fine, I concluded. Her eyes widened. Really? She responded. Really? Oh, definitely, I assured her. My mother went through a lot of changes with me, I conceded, but it worked out. I know how you must feel. Hang in there, I consoled. It'll work out. This is so good to hear, she smiled, because sometimes I just don't know. She shook her head and looked up in apparent exasperation. Oh, my man will be all right. You'll see, I added. Thank you, she expressed. Her young son offered a strained half smile. What about you? She asked. Have you got a ride? Oh, yeah, I answered quickly. Someone is coming to pick me up any minute now. For no apparent reason, except that there was a need, we offered comfort to each other. It's strange how things happen sometimes. We said our goodbyes, and I was quickly thrust back into my painful reality. Now that I had offered motivation to them, I wanted to appear strong and upright for my departure. But I was still in a great deal of pain and could do no better than I had done moments ago. I turned, walked toward the street, and waved as I hobbled across. My thoughts were back on the job as I got myself ready to see Joe. I felt that I needed to convince him that they had not lost their driver. I also needed to convince myself that I had not lost my income. I approached the familiar electronic doors of the emergency room with a certain level of embarrassment. I didn't want to see these people whom I had just told I was fine because I wasn't fine. My warped reasoning forced me to play the role. Now let's just stop here for a second. Ain't this a crazy ass story? When I remember how I was feeling and, and how ready I was to fight through almost anything to survive, I'm halfway proud of myself and halfway embarrassed at just how alone and tormented I was. Wow. That's why it makes it so difficult to even, to even read and present this, because it was an unrealistically crazy and personal assault on everything stable in my soul. I'm very grateful and thankful to have moved on. I entered the hospital once again and took the first seat available. Little did I know, sitting would require some effort. I had been standing since I left the wheelchair. I strained, adjusted, contorted, and grunted as I forced my aching body down in the cold, stiff waiting room chair. In a very short time, Joe Jr. walked briskly through the door. I wasn't sure how I would conceal the extreme pain I was in from Joe, but I gave it a noble try. Joe and I made eye contact as he walked toward me. 
Hey, Roger. He greeted almost in a whisper. Hey, Joe. I responded back. I looked away. You all set to go? Yes. Oh, yeah, I I'm ready. I was trying with all my might to conceal my pain. I came to my feet as quickly as I could under the circumstances. I grimaced from pain. Joe reached to help me, and my words interrupted his movement. I'm all right. I, I got it. I I'll be fine. He looked at me with an apparent sadness in his eyes. He complied and left me to my own ability. We turned toward the door, and I was all teeth. I clenched and crunched my face, responding to the lack of strength in my body. I was trying to move at a faster pace than before. I grunted and groaned my way to his car. We reached Joe's car, and I did what was necessary to lift my leg, turn my body, and drop down into the small seat. What a relief I felt having gotten my battered body into his chariot that would rescue me from this environment for the sick. There was nothing wrong with me, I thought. Though I was in tremendous pain, I rationalized that all I needed was a couple of hours and I would be fine. I was certain of it. Joe and I embarked and neither of us spoke for a few minutes. I sat as totally still as I could. To move meant pain. Joe broke the silence. So what happened? He asked quietly. I recounted the events as clearly as I could remember, emphasizing that I never saw the truck coming. I'm the most careful guy in the world, I continued. I just can't understand it. Hit by a truck? Me? I punctuated. I shook my head in disgust. Things happen, he comforted. Are you sure you're all right? Oh, yeah, I'll be fine. I had become a human version of a broken record. All I could say or think is, is, was that I'd be fine. He assured me that he would handle retrieving my truck and that it was okay. I'm just glad you're not in worse shape, he said, relieved. You could have been killed. He reminded and looked at me sincerely. Joe had already spoken to the policeman concerning the accident. Their estimation was that I should be in pretty bad shape. He seemed quite impressed by my resilience. I could not deal with my predicament near as well. I can only apologize for what I, at the time, considered negligence. Hey, it's okay, Joe quickly interrupted. You're alive. I sure didn't feel alive, though. I felt stupid. During the 45-minute drive home, we covered every aspect of the accident. Soon, our conversation became more general. The tail end of the ride was relatively pleasant. We approached the company, and my thoughts began to fly again. My first concern was, how am I going to get my butt out of this car? Additionally, I wanted to assure Joe once again that I would be available to work. Joe slowly drove his car through the large gate and rolled to a halt. Thanks, Joe, I offered enthusiastically. I'll be in tomorrow, I assured. Are you sure? He asked with a frown. Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> Listen, he interrupted. You've got workers' compensation. You can take a few days off with pay. I can, 
I exclaimed. Sure, you earned it. Just take some time. I'll send you the paperwork so you can get your money. Joe was very accommodating. Nah, I'll still be in, I insisted. I'll, I'll call you if I have a problem. Okay, Joe responded skeptically. Thanks again, Joe. I appreciate everything, I said sincerely. No problem, he supplied. Just take care of yourself. Joe opened his door and climbed effortlessly from his small BMW. I, on the other hand, had a lot tougher time removing myself from the seat. I finally inched my way up and was standing when Joe Sr. came walking from the warehouse. Hey, Roger, he greeted in a subdued tone for him. You all right? He questioned with a frown. Oh, yeah, I'll be fine. I repeated again like a parrot. Can you believe this guy? Joe Jr. interrupted. He gets hit by a truck and he's talking about coming in tomorrow. The guy could be dead. He seemed to gain enthusiasm in the presence of his father. Joe Sr.'s voice grew louder. Hey, what'd you, what'd you do? Use karate on that truck, man? That was something. I smiled and shrugged. What can I say? I responded. I still felt foolish. Well, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow, I said. I'd run out of things to say about the incident. They both said goodbye, and I turned myself toward the outer gate. Unfortunately, my van was about 70 yards away. I braced myself and took the walk. It seemed quite a bit farther than it was. I thought the walk was trying, but climbing up into my van held even greater difficulty. I was disintegrating inside from the realization of the fact that I was extremely vulnerable. It was still only early afternoon when I started my van and began to drive. Even driving was difficult. Oh, no, I thought. How in the hell am I going to get through this? I can't drive my truck feeling this way. Painfully, I drove toward home, dreading it all the way. I drove slowly and carefully into the parking lot. I inched my way into the space and shut off the engine. I sat there in disgust for 10 or 15 minutes, wondering how I would handle this. This would surely drive me crazy, I thought. Anger began to overtake me. I hoisted myself with the help of the van door down to the hot ground. The pain was now bringing tears to my eyes with every sudden movement. My feet hit the ground and my first thoughts were, how am I going to walk through this courtyard unnoticed? I had no answers to the voice inside my head. I literally tried as hard as I could to walk normally, but I could not. That made me even more angry. I resigned myself to taking baby steps the entire 100 yards or so, through the courtyard, up the 20 or 30 steps, and into the house. I walked through the courtyard, past the swimming pool, and some of the tenants that I had made acquaintances with noticed me. What's wrong? I heard a young lady say with a frown. They had become accustomed to me moving a lot swifter. I hated having to answer. Oh, I, I had a little accident today, but I'll be okay. I qualified. I hoped that would suffice, but it did not. Well, what happened? She asked again. 
I tried to skim over it like it was of no consequence. I got hit by a truck walking across the street. Oh my God, she replied, as if on cue. No, it's all right, I interjected. I'll be all right. It'll be okay, I qualified. I groaned with each word that passed my lips. I was trying to walk and talk simultaneously, though walking held most of my attention. Once I climbed to the top of the stairs, which is, was an adventure all its own, I paused and took several deep breaths. I hoped I could get from the door in my room without dealing with this anymore. I knew only anger and working out as coping devices, and I certainly couldn't work out. So when I readied myself and walked through the door, I was not to be bothered with this situation anymore. End of part two. I inserted my key into the lock and slowly opened the door. I crept slowly in. I could barely close the door behind me. I had grown weaker from the effort I had already expended. I trudged and strained my way to my bedroom. The impoverished version of a bed greeted me as I opened the door. The mattress on the floor with no box spring or frame looked better to me than anything had all day. But I must admit, positioning myself so that I could sit and then lie down was more difficult than I had anticipated. My joints were severely restricted. I was a human version of the Tin Man without oil. My back and head were swollen from the impact. My wrists and elbows were pink from the open abrasions, and my ego was in the worst shape of all. I was so freaked out, I couldn't think straight. The room was dark, and so were my emotions. I finally got myself into a reclining position, only to find that it did not ease the pain. No matter which way I turned, I was in some serious hurt. I lay there, adjusting my position every few minutes, battling with my mortality. But I swore that I would bring myself back as quickly as humanly possible. I made a quick call to my mother to confirm our earlier discussion, after which I had the rest of the night to ponder my predicament. Sleeping was virtually impossible. I was still very anti-chemical. My body had become so clean. I refused to consider the pain medication prescription that the emergency room doctor had given me. No pills, I thought. Though I wasn't sure how long I could stand the persistent pain, the thought that plagued me was the most was, however, was uh, how was linked to my martial arts training and my kickboxing future. I was engulfed in the reality that at any moment, someone could come rushing through the door, do away with me, and I could offer no resistance. The black belt that I spent so many grueling years acquiring meant nothing. It had been relegated to a useless piece of cloth. This reality severely challenged my stability. I couldn't drive, I couldn't fight, and I couldn't even walk without extreme difficulty. My passions were evaporating before my eyes. Maybe in some respects I was overreacting, but I certainly didn't know it then. I was becoming useless. My value was diminished and I was crumbling emotionally. Someone or something had played a cruel trick on me. The things I valued most were inaccessible, and I was 3,000 miles away from anything that could offer me comfort. Somehow, I endured a night filled with intense pain. 
It was now early morning, and I found myself staring at the ceiling. My mind was still racing. I was hounded by the recurring fear that I would never recover. Movement was me. To not be capable of movement, or certainly freedom of movement, was devastating. Who was I now? I reminded myself that I had no money, no education, and no vocational skills. I was another one of the anonymous forgotten souls that Los Angeles and America devoured by the moment. My fears motivated me into action. To hell with this, I thought. I've got to get up out of here. I maneuvered myself to my knees and inched upward with the help of the wall, groaning all the while. I remembered my priorities and hastily moved to call my job. I apologized to Joe, but confirmed that I could not come to work after all. He was not at all surprised and wished me well. I assured him that I would come in as soon as I could. Hey, I know Roger, he interrupted. Just take it easy. I appreciated his consideration, but I could hardly take it easy. I slowly hung up the phone and stared into the distance. I knew I needed some kind of help, so I searched and found the nearest lawyer with the largest ad in the phone book and quickly rang him up. I told the secretary of my situation and she invited me to come in right away. I accepted the invitation and said goodbye. I realized that getting dressed would be an all new adventure and I slowly, though painfully, got myself together. The early morning cool greeted me at the door and my body twinged from the breeze. I was walking no faster than the day before but I was determined to put my best foot forward on my own behalf. I reached the top of the stairs and began to descend. I found that the stairs provided as much difficulty going down as coming up had the afternoon before, but I made the long track to the parking lot and to my monster of a van. I must have looked an awful sight, groaning, moaning, and straining. I must admit, I was a little crazy from the thought that I might cease to exist if I didn't keep moving. My stubbornness propelled me. I finally got into the van and had to rest and breathe deeply to regain my composure. The steering wheel was cold to the touch. The morning was cool and overcast. I got it together and found my way to the lawyer's office. I entered and introduced myself to the receptionist. Are you all right? She asked. Pain was written all over my face. Oh, yeah, I grunted. I'm all right. Someone will be with right with you, she consoled. I declined her offer to sit, knowing how difficult it would be to get back up. So I stood in the small waiting room for a few minutes, and a dark-haired young man greeted me with a smile that turned quickly to a frown. Hey, you don't look too good, he said quietly. I've been better, I said but I'll be fine. He escorted me into his office and offered me a chair. I sat down gingerly and recounted the previous day's events. He took notes all the while and concluded that I indeed had a case. Have you been to a doctor yet? Yes. The ambulance took me to Brotman Memorial, I answered. We'd like you to see our doctor, he instructed. Fine, I agreed. I informed him that I was eligible for workman's compensation, as Joe informed me. I supplied him with all the pertinent employer information, and he assured me that they would ha handle my benefit claim. You'd better get over to see the doctor as soon as you can, he added. He concluded with a warning. Don't talk to anyone about this case. 
If anyone calls you, refer them to us. I nodded and agreed. We ended our initial meeting and I struggled to get my body moving again. I followed the written directions and found the doctor's office. I entered and was seen rather quickly. The doctor greeted me with a smile and proceeded to conduct his initial examination, including a full series of x-rays. I quietly participated in his exam and, at the conclusion, asked him how I looked. You were hit by a truck, you say? He asked with a puzzled look. Yes, I answered. You're quite lucky, he commented. You're going to have to take some time off. How much time? I asked quickly. I'm a martial arts fighter, and I'd like to continue training. Well, you should forget about that for a while, he said firmly. You need to discontinue all physical activity, he added. We're going to set you up for disability while you're out of work. I also have a prescription I'd like you to take, he concluded. He never realized what a crushing blow his statements dealt me. I refused to accept the prognosis. It was extremely disheartening. We'll need to arrange for you to come in three times per week for physical therapy. Take it easy, he smiled. As he quickly disappeared, in my mind I thought, you take it easy. This is nonsense. I could beat this. I sat in the quiet, cool examination room and sulked. I was extremely unhappy. I finally got myself dressed and met the doctor in the reception area. I now entertained the idea of taking that pain medication he prescribed. My body was throbbing. The doctor suggested a pharmacist nearby and issued a stern warning. No activity. You could make your injuries much worse. Get some rest, he suggested. I'm not tired, I thought, but I am in pain. I went directly to the pharmacy and then proceeded home. My recuperation officially began. Contrary to the aversion I had to chemicals, I quickly took one of the pills that were prescribed. I had no idea what I was taking, but I yearned for relief. My surroundings seemed to look altogether different now. My view of Los Angeles was no longer inviting and beautiful. The environment seemed ominous and quiet. My perspective was growing dark. I felt as alone as I had ever been. How could this have happened to me? I had heard about pedestrians getting hit by cars before, but could never relate to such a thing happening to me. Why didn't I see the truck? Why couldn't I avoid it? I beat myself up something terrible. I did take comfort in the fact that I would receive workers' compensation, but my thoughts continued to fly. It dawned on me that if I didn't stay active, my weight could get out of hand. I decided then and there that all I would eat was broiled chicken, boiled potatoes, and green salad. Though my diet was very healthy already, I wouldn't take any chances. As time passed, I would stay true to my intention. I must have eaten baked and broiled chicken and salad for months. I never tired of the monotonous diet. I would not allow those years of commitment to go out the window. Additionally, I drank lots of water, staying true to the basics. The cascade of negative thoughts continued as I reached the top of that brutal set of stairs at the end of the courtyard. I had made it home once again, but I desperately wanted out. I would have to find a way to be patient. I came through the door that afternoon still unhappy, but I felt productive. Again, I hobbled my way back to my room, which was always dark. I went through what was to become my ritual of grunting, 
groaning, turning, and finally lying down. The pill I had taken earlier did not seem to have any effect on the pain. I hated the idea of chemicals circulating through my body, so I decided to wait before I considered taking another. I was alone with my thoughts, tormented by my fears and feelings of inadequacy. I found myself drifting off to sleep and was resting more than I had in a day or so. I didn't know it then, but this ordeal would be the ultimate test of my will, my patience, my focus, and my discipline. A few hours passed and I woke up suddenly. I realized that the pill had t- had not taken oh, the, the pain off me, and so I reached to grab another and eagerly swallowed. The pain seemed to intensify all at once. I later realized that the medication was doing very little to add to my comfort. I discontinued taking it, not wanting to pollute my body needlessly. I would have to wait another day before I'd see the doctor, but I would hold out. Though the pain was ever-present, for short periods I seemed to drift out of my body and find relief. This type of mind thing was very difficult to maintain. For the most part, the next day and night were continually painful. Friday morning came and I was eager to see the doctor. The job was still on my mind, so the first thing I wanted to do that morning was call Joe at South Bay. I informed Joe that I had been to a lawyer and to a doctor. I assured him that I was trying as hard as I could to pull it together. Again, he expressed his understanding and told me not to worry. Your job is waiting for you. Joe's reassurance helped to relieve me. We hung up and I readied myself for the ordeal of driving to the orthopedic specialist's office. Once in front of the doctor, I immediately made him aware of the fact that the prescription he gave me had no effect on the pain. He acknowledged my frustration and offered to write another prescription for a different medication. Once again, I said goodbye and went directly to the pharmacy to fill the second prescription. Once more, I took the medication and carefully drove toward home. Over the next several hours, I realized that the new medication gave no better results. I made up my mind that I would take no more. The week and the weekend was a very depressing and painful time. The days passed ever so slowly. I was relieved when Monday arrived. I wanted to get back in the business of recuperation. Again, I grunted and groaned my way up and out of the apartment. I went down the stairs, through the courtyard, and up into my van. When I arrived, I was told that I would see another doctor. The name was familiar. It was his name that was on the marquee. It was his practice. Once in the examination room, the head physician entered and greeted me with an outstretched hand. I complied with a weak handshake and recounted my story. He completed his examination and asked how I was feeling in general. I told him of the discomfort and that the past prescriptions were of no consequence. He tilted his head with a frown and offered, we'll give you something else. This doctor seemed more sure of himself. I posed the same questions to him concerning martial arts and my realistic downtime. Martial arts? He queried. You mean like karate? Yes. Yes, and kickboxing, I responded. Listen, he pointed at me. Your body suffered a tremendous trauma. From now on, every time it rains, you're going to stiffen up. It's very possible you won't be able to do martial arts again. Let's just wait and see, he said sternly. Now, he continued, we're going to get you into therapy, so whoever is bringing you in, you need to set up a schedule so you can come in three times a week. I drive myself in, 
I said proudly with a frown. You mean you drive down here alone every time? The doctor was aghast. Yeah, I responded. The doctor shook his head and warned. You better learn to take it easy. I've got nobody to drive me, I said innocently. I noticed the doctor was pissed. Okay, he said skeptically, shaking his head again. He handed me another prescription before he left and evaporated from the room like a mist. It was obvious this guy was no nonsense. I got dressed slowly, mind you. I always took some time for me to get in and out of my clothes. I just didn't move very well. Bending was virtually impossible. Things I once took for granted were now extremely difficult. I checked out of the reception window and went next door to the physical therapy center. I made my appointment for the following day and went once more to the pharmacy. The doctor had prescribed codeine this time. Once again, I took one tablet and drove toward home. For the first time since my accident, I felt a change in the sensations. Still very chemical conscious, I warned myself about dependency. But that night, I finally got a decent night's sleep. I was still very impatient about my recovery. Although I didn't buy that bit from the doctor about forecasting rain, I was very excited about beginning there the therapy. I went, went in the next day as scheduled and continued through the week. Therapy was just the jump start I needed. By the weekend, my dope fiend paranoia awakened me from a codeine-induced nod. Wait a minute, I thought. I'm getting a little carried away with this pill jazz. You better hold up, I berated myself. You don't need these pills. I reasoned that I wasn't feeling myself. My pain was being masked. I suddenly remembered a concept that I'd encountered and adopted about pain being an unnecessary hindrance. I had learned that you could work through it. I decided that I'd gotten through the worst part and that I could handle it from here, and I did. I was steadily going to therapy, seeing the doctor intermittently, and eating only as much as I needed for sustenance. About 10 days had passed, and I went in for my periodic examination. The busy doctor entered the examination room, as he had done before. This time, something was different. He was several minutes into his examination when his exuberance startled me. Hey, what are you doing at home? He questioned in disbelief. You've healed a great deal, he exclaimed. Nothing, I said. I just get up and come to therapy. I can't do much else, I said, disgusted. Whew, he sighed as he shook his head. He looked at me again with widened eyes and continued to shake his head. I left his office that day feeling like I had made progress. His comments were encouraging. Sitting around at home was making me a little nutty, though. I had read every magazine I could read, and most of the time I stayed in the bedroom. It had gotten so that I would walk from the bedroom to the living room several times a day. At least now, I wasn't reeling from pain. But I had a major concern about the way I was walking. I couldn't seem to straighten up. The discomfort on my left side where the truck had made impact was ever-present. I had heard about chiropractors but knew little about what they did. I called my attorney and told him that I'd like to see a chiropractor. I'm concerned about the way I'm walking, I told the attorney. He reacted to me skeptically. Why do you think you need a chiropractor, he asked. Because I'm not walking right, and my lower back is constantly hurting. But the other doctors aren't noticing it, I insisted. Well, he warned, I don't know if your medical doctor would advise that. 
The two professions aren't always complimentary, he said. Talk to your doctor on the next visit and see how he feels. If he agrees, we'll send you to a chiropractor. All right, I resigned. I'll let you know. So on my next visit, I made the physician aware of my desires. The doctor reacted somewhat skeptically at first, but finally agreed that it shouldn't be a problem. The appointment was made and the following week, I would see my first chiropractor. During that time, I became overwhelmed with curiosity concerning the scabs on the inside of my wrists and elbows. I suddenly wanted to know all the details I could about the accident. I searched and found the small piece of paper that the Good Samaritan had written his name and telephone number on. I decided I would call. I dialed the number, not quite certain of what I would say. A young lady answered and I began. May I speak with Derek? I asked. Hold on, she said. Hello? An energetic sounding man answered. Derek, my name is Roger Hamilton, I began. I was hit by a truck a few weeks ago and you... Oh yeah, he interrupted. How you doing? I'm all right, man, I answered. As well as to be expected, I guess. Man, that was a wild thing, he said with enthusiasm. I'm hip, I responded. It was that. Well, I continued, I just wanted to get the rundown of what happened. Man, before I knew anything, I was stretched out on the pavement. Derek began to recount the events that led to the impact. Then he paused, as if in disbelief. And man, when the truck hit you, nah, couldn't be. He paused. What is it, man? Because I don't remember nothing. Well, he hesitated. When the truck hit you... It looked like you were trying to hold on, but it couldn't be, continued, because that thing happened so fast, there's no way you could have thought to hold on. There was a momentary silence. I was moved by his commentary. I felt a slight chill run through me as I imagined myself flying through the air like a toy. He continued his recap. Man, that truck hit you. You rolled up the hood and onto the roof. He slammed on his brakes and you went flying, man. It's a wonder you ain't dead, he punctuated. Right about then, I felt the same way. I was counting my blessings as this man recounted the story with enthusiasm. He finished the story and I thanked him sincerely for helping me. I really appreciate it, I said humbly. Thanks, man. No problem, man. You, you doing all right? He asked again. I'm coming along, I answered. It's tough, I added. Check this out, man. If I need to go to court, uh, you, you want to be my witness? I asked. Yeah, man, I'll do it, he replied. That, I responded. And you know I'll tighten you up. No problem, just let me know, he assured. All right, man, thanks again, I said. Take it easy, he closed. You too, man, I said. Bye. It seems my instincts had served me well. I'd been grappling, punching, and kicking for so many years that I automatically reacted. The scars on the inside of my wrists were indications that I had broken my fall. It was then that I started to put the events into perspective. I began the second phase of my recuperation, the mental. End of part three. Something inside of me began to replay the events of my life. 
I was becoming a bit more spiritual. The time had come to meet the chiropractor. I was curious and excited about finding out what chiropractors do. When I arrived at the small professional building and entered, I was greeted by an attractive young woman dressed in a nurse's uniform. She offered me a clipboard and I completed the initial information and she wasted no time in ushering me into the examination room. I undressed and in very short order the doctor entered. We greeted each other and he began to ask me questions about my accident. His questions were surprisingly thorough. He asked so many questions I wondered what he was getting at. His interrogation style questioning ended and he asked that I follow him into the other room for an x-ray. I had had many x-rays before and knew the procedure all too well. He surprised me by putting me in positions that I had not experienced before. Most significantly, he asked me to bend sideways while he shot the x-ray. I didn't know what he was doing, but I complied and it hurt. We completed the extensive series of x-rays and I was more in pain than when I entered. All that bending and contorting awakened the pain that had quieted over the weeks. The chiropractor escorted me back to the examination room and asked that I get dressed. I went into the room and started to dress, all the while thinking, this guy didn't do anything. I was having second thoughts about my decisions to come to him. I took my time getting dressed. The lady in, the, in white escorted me into the doctor's private office. The doctor walked in, sat down behind his desk, and took a long, deep breath. Well, he began, I can see now why you're having trouble. You've got a broken rib, he exclaimed. That's why your left side is hurting, he continued. Broken rib, I said, startled. I do? Yes, you do, he replied. He reached over to show me the x-ray. No wonder that side felt so weird, I said. That's right, he said. Looks like this isn't the first time you've had a broken rib, he commented. What do you mean? I asked. I never had a broken rib. Well, the x-rays don't lie. You can see it right here, he pointed to the spot. I was very surprised. You mean I had a broken rib and didn't even know it? I asked. You had to have known it, he concluded. It would have been very painful. I focused intently and from the looks of the x-ray, it was very obviously broken. One portion of the rib was lying on top of the other and had healed that way, which accounted for the bulge under my skin that I had wondered about for years. I ran my hand along my rib cage and I could feel the rib protruding out of line with the others. Wow, I said quietly, wow. We were both silent for a few seconds. I could sense the pride radiating from him. The chiropractor had found something that the orthopedic specialist had not. Chalk one up for the chiropractic profession. He proposed what he thought was the best method of solving my problem. He noted that my back was riddled with spasms, my joints were restricted, and my vertebrae was out of alignment. He suggested that I come to him at least twice a week. He explained that I would receive INS electrical stimulation, ultrasound traction, heat therapy, and manipulation of my vertebrae. This man was running it down. I had never gotten a more thorough examination or explanation by any doctor. I was pleased and informed him that I would in fact be back for therapy. The smile on his face indicated that he was pleased as well. 
Before I left, he gave me a brace to support my rib and thanked me for coming. His attentiveness and manner were excellent. I left the chiropractic office feeling like I had accomplished something. At the very least, I knew much more about my ailments. The chiropractor spoke to the attorney and we proceeded from there. I went once a week to orthopedic therapy and twice a week to the chiropractor. The restricted movement was still difficult to accept. I started again to wonder, what if I couldn't be physical anymore? That thought stayed with me. The more I attempted to forget it, the more it cramped into my consciousness. I felt extremely incomplete. I'm 25 years old. I thought all these years I've been running and jumping and lifting. And if I couldn't labor, then what could I do? I'll tell you, it was a bad feeling. I was going home every day, sitting in that room wondering, what in the hell is going to happen to me? I started reading more than I ever had in my life. Suddenly books started to mean more to me than they had before. I'd saved the books from my second attempt at college. One afternoon while sitting in that sparsely furnished, perpetually darkened room, I pulled out those books. English, algebra, psychology, something was changing in me. My horizons were broadening. I felt I needed to learn some new things, even though I had planned to return to my job at South Bay. Mentally, I would never be the same. A couple months had passed since my injury. One afternoon, I was having a conversation with my attorney. I mentioned something about returning to work. I voiced my intention to return as soon as I was able. You can't do that, he barked. Why not? I asked. If you want to win any money from this case, you can't go back to that kind of job. And you need to be careful. He continued. Somebody from the insurance company could very well be possibly be watching you. You have to limit your activity and you cannot be seen doing anything physical. I could never describe how painfully confusing that was to hear. I was struck down in my tracks by a truck traveling approximately 40 miles per hour. The truck hit me so hard that it damaged the fan and radiator to the point that it needed to be towed from the scene. It was towing a car at the time. And from all indication, it was the truck driver's negligence. Now, even if I recovered, I gotta be an actor forever to be compensated? This was going to be tougher than I imagined. I felt strongly that if I played hurt, then I would stay hurt. I had a lot to think about. Whenever I was at home now, I was reading. I became as voracious a reader as I could ever imagine. I was desperate for new information. Then came one of the major turning points of my life. I was thoroughly motivated to grow and gingerly walked into the local library after therapy. As if by fate, I encountered a large red book in the stack on the counter. The book was entitled The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. I leafed through the book, and on virtually every page I turned to was an encouraging or positive message. The author's name was familiar somehow. Hmm, Napoleon Hill. I began reading this book and was completely engrossed in its message. In the chapter called Definite Chief Aim, Mr. Hill made some of the, the following statements. 
and the long, hard task of trying to wipe out some of my ignorance and make way for some of the useful truths of life, I have often seen in my imagination the great maker who stands at the gateway entrance of life and writes poor fool on the brow of those who believe they are wise and poor sinner on the brow of those who believe they are saints. Which translated to workaday language means that none of us knows very much and by the very nature of our being can never know as much as we need to know in order to live sanely and enjoy life while we live. Humility is the forerunner of success. This book was as timely a discovery and as important a piece of literature as I could ever read. It would move me to emotional outbursts and it reinforced some of the powerful principles that I had inadvertently learned, such as make the best of what you have, use your imagination, exercise self-control, know where you're going, self-confidence, tolerance, the habit of saving, and coming to terms with fear and failure. In another chapter entitled Discontentment, Mr. Hill went on to say, Life's greatest inconsistency is the fact that most of that which we believe is not true. Russell Conwell wrote the most popular lecture ever delivered in the English language. He called it Acres of Diamonds. The central idea of the lecture was the statement that one need not seek opportunity in the distance, that opportunity may be found wherever one really looks for it and nowhere else. To most men, the picking looks better on the other side of the fence. How futile to urge one to try one's luck in the little hometown when it is man's nature to look for opportunity in some other locality. Do not worry because the grass looks sweeter on the other side of the fence. Nature intended it so. Thus does she allure and groom us for the lifelong task of growth through struggle. I had found a friend. The overwhelming message that I interpreted was for me to get busy and stop feeling sorry for myself. I had indeed struggled, but I had also grown. I had always tried to make the best of what I had, but thought there was more. I thought that I needed some institution of higher learning to validate me or some wise person to dub me intelligent or worthy. Something deep inside of me always knew that I had value, true value. But the conditions on the outside had confused me. As a son, perfect behavior was the indicator. As an athlete, dominance or an undefeated record was the gauge. As a mate or sharing a relationship, filling their needs and forsaking my own was the test. As a student, good grades was the criterion. None of these seemed to be true barometers of my value or ability. My horizons had obviously broadened while I was at Morgan State, but not to the point that I really believed in myself as the vehicle. Somehow I still believed that it was the job, the company, or the task that was the key. While reading this book, I started to realize that I was the vehicle for change, that no matter where I worked or what I did, I was still the catalyst, the driver of the car, which was my life. I had been angry and stubborn and confused, but never knew why. As the days and nights passed, I would sit in the quiet of my room, which was now my university, 
and realized that I was the fertile ground in which the seeds of success or accomplishment would be planted. I had always wanted to do things my way and had paid dearly through blood, sweat, and tears for that right. Now I knew that this was the only way to pursue my own dreams and desires wherever the road might take me. Weekly therapy, conscientious diet, and the profound belief that I would heal had begun to pay dividends. I was elated from the realization that I could bend and nearly touch my toes. Walking was no longer the chore that it had been several months earlier. My value as a human being was enhanced. Somehow I didn't feel as limited. I was giving myself credit for having more of a brain than my school transcripts would indicate. Sitting quietly in that room, fighting the pain of fear, I was gradually coming of age. I was proud that I kept myself intact during this ordeal. I had even gained a slight spring in my step. I could walk to and from my van without feeling crippled. This made me feel extremely happy. I would smile to myself as I celebrated life with every step. It was six months before I was moving well and back nearly to myself, but I was different now. I was smarter. I was more confident. And I believed that I could truly be whatever I wanted to be and do whatever I wanted to do. Something good had happened to me from something extremely bad. Now, no matter whatever happens in my life, I find the proverbial silver lining around every cloud. I find the sweet in the bitter. And now my instincts are always results oriented, no matter what challenges are in front of me. Take it from me. You can too. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!